Hi, I'm Rick Tittle, and this is the Rick Tittle Podcast on the 8 Side Network. Join me as I get busy with the biggest names in sports and entertainment. Thank you for that, and welcome back to the show. Rick Tittle with you coast to coast and around the world on the American Forces Radio Network. It's our pleasure to welcome to the show one of the greatest baseball players of all time, the greatest catcher of all time, Johnny Bench. Alongside him is Dr. Ariel Ostad, and they are here for the campaign Get Real About Skin Cancer. Johnny, welcome to the program. Um, Why is this something near and dear to your heart to get the word out? Well, thank you, Rick. Well, 10 years ago, I had uh, uh, basal cell carcinoma. I had... uh, couple of spots on both eyelids actually looked a little bit like pimples uh, blisters and we lanced them and uh but it came back and uh, that's when my optometrist said you really need to see a dermatologist we did a biopsy and then the biopsy showed the basal cell carcinoma so uh we did the surgery had it removed fortunately it was uh they got it, all of it uh i say at this point i've been cancer free for 10 years but I think we, even though we are and believe we are, we will continue to make our appointments with our our dermatologist to make sure that there's not really a problem. I'm, I still do my self examination. I find little spots, or I start to get worried about a mole. I start to get worried about a freckle, even, and I start to get worried about little blisters. And the doctor will be able to tell you much more about that. But you know, I'm teaming up with Regeneron and Sanofi to make people aware of the fact, and that's why we have the website. Let's get real about skincancer.com to have more people aware of them and more protective in these days when the sun probably is getting hotter, it seems to anyway. Yes, and Dr. Osted, uh, as Johnny was mentioning, catching those non melanoma skin cancer before it advances, doing, as he was saying, the self diagnoses, what, what can you uh, recommend for that? Uh, what I would recommend is, is you know, early detection uh, really allows us to basically stay healthy. So the key is, number one, it starts with sun prevention. So staying out of the sun during especially the midday between those hours of, let's say, 12 and 4. And then if we are going to be outside, you got to use that sunscreen. Find the sunscreen that you like, something SPF 30 and above, and basically reapply it. Reapply it every two hours. Wear that sort of wide brim hat, wear your sunglasses to protect your eyes and your eyelids, wear that long sleeve sun shirt to protect your body. Um, that's the ultimate form of protection. But the key is, you know, majority of these skin cancers are due to sun exposure, uh, and it starts about, you know, educating ourselves, our children, about the importance of basically sun protection. Johnny, I grew up in Oakland in the 60s and, and 70s and, of course, loved Charlie Finley's A's and the, the big red machine. Of course, you guys locked horns in the World Series. They won three in a row. You guys won the next two. What did you think about Charlie Finley's team with the white spikes and the green and the gold? What did you think about those guys with the crazy mustaches? You know, he was so far ahead of his time, Rick. I mean, he was just – he was the uh... – I guess you'd call like a, you know, what you'd have at the circus. You know, you'd have the guy out there, and he'd be barnstorming and everything else. He was one of a kind. He knew how to attract attention, and he knew how to bring people out. And, of course, I think he even paid guys. To, didn't it, wasn't it mentioned that he paid guys to wear mustaches? Yeah. That, you know, I don't know if it was Catfish Hunter or Raleigh or whoever they decided to do, but he was a showman in itself. He was Barnum and Bailey all, all rolled into one. And... He brought a team together that 
as far as I knew, never got along in the clubhouse, but you put them on the field, and here you are with all the things, you know, with the, uh, the confrontations with the great athletes. I remember, you know, here's Epstein and Dick Green, and here's Campanaris and Sal Bando. I mean, here I am mentioning and naming Reggie and all the stuff and Joe Rudy, and I got to see Joe not too long ago. So it brought back a lot of memories, and, of course, your pitching staff with Catfish and Vida and Coltsman and all those things. I were, my gosh, maybe I'm not as old as I think. Maybe my, my synapses are still firing. I don't know. <laughs> but the neurons are starting to get out there. But now that you mentioned that, they won three World Series in a row, which is the last time any team has ever done that. So Oakland, except that ballpark, uh, and it's still there, isn't it? Yep. It's still there, Rick. Yep. Well, I want to ask uh, you. I want to ask you too, Johnny. The way the 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 position has changed, you know, we have the sort of the Buster Posey rule now. You about blocking the plate, and now you got little electronics on your knee. You can push a button and tell the pitcher <laughs> what to pitch. What do you think about the modern catcher now? Well, you know, if you think back, it was what it was the Buster Posey rule, but uh, Bruce Bochy had two two different, three different characters counting Posey carried off the field. So that was a case where they were trying to protect the lives of catchers. You got a guy that's six foot two, he's running the hundred and nine five, he weighs two twenty five, he's coming around third base, and you're standing at home plate, and the only way this guy's gonna get on home on um, on sports center is to run over you. <laughs> well, you become just an obstacle that really did, and that's why uh it's so much different than now. I mean it's not like having, you know, some of these guys stand in there the way they used to and and we got hit in midair. We got hit every way that it was. But, uh, yeah, the buttons are kind of interesting because of all the the sign stealing and, and all that stuff. And back in our day, we would have called, I would have walked out to the pitcher and said, I'm going to call for a curveball, but I want you to throw a fastball at his head. <laughs> well, and so the guy at the second baseman tipped off that it's a curveball, and the next thing the guy's throwing at his head and he goes down and they say, I'm not going to believe that the next time. So we had a different kind of uh, deal. But, yeah, they've got headsets and foot busting and buttons over here and buttons over there. And I guess it was inevitable that these things would happen. But we are amazing. I mean, here you are on a webcast. I mean, you are – think about all the things. that Would you have imagined this 10 or 12, 15 years ago? No, it's crazy stuff. And I know you guys got to run. So, Dr. Osteb, before we say goodbye, tell us a little bit more about where we can go for more information on all this. Absolutely. So uh, the Skin Cancer Foundation is a great resource to learn more about non-melanoma skin cancer. Visit letsgetrealaboutskincancer.com. There's a wealth of information about non-melanoma skin cancer, and you can learn so much about education, and education is certainly knowledge is power. Yes, and uh, sponsored by Regeneron and uh, Sanofi, Dr. Earl Ostad and Johnny Bench. Johnny, I'd love to have you you. on again, talk more baseball with you. Thanks for coming. Yeah, it sounds like you know what you're talking about. Thank you. You're listening to the Rick Tittle Podcast on the 8Side Network. Stay tuned for more. Always great to catch up with Howard Bryant, of course, the award-winning journalist. And, uh, of course, you see him on TV and the radio uh, as well. And um, I think the last time we talked about one of his books we had him on was a while ago. It was his Hank Aaron book. Well, he has a new one now called Ricky. It's not about me. It's about Ricky Henderson, the life and legend of an American original. Howard, welcome back to the uh, program. And as, uh, you know, I'm an Oakland guy. I'm a little bit older than you. I, I saw Ricky's whole career. And you, when you covered the A's for the Tribune, which I was a uh, 
subscriber. What was it like when you kind of got immersed in all that? Well, I was a really young guy when I first got on at the crib. Um, thanks for having me on as, as, as well. It, it, I didn't really, I was just a backup early on. Uh, when I got to Ricky, it was his last year with the A's, and that was in 98. Mm-hmm. And I was with the San Jose Mercury News at the time. And Ricky was amazing. I mean, one, he's a legend, and that was the thing that, that the superstar players, they just move differently. And I think one of the things about doing this book that I really enjoyed was that chapter about Ricky in 98, where most superstar players, they really know when it's time because they're not used to losing to people who they had been destroying for their entire career. And they feel it. And they are so used to being on top that they don't like that decline. They don't like slipping a little bit. And here's Ricky, first ballot Hall of Famer, great, great player. And everyone knows he's not Ricky anymore. And yet he leads the league in stolen bases at 39 years old, 66. I remember the manager, Art Howe, was talking about how Ricky, you could tell Ricky didn't have it. You could beat him with a fastball. You could, you know, he still had the great eye. He still had a 400 on base percentage in the whole thing. But, you know, you could, you could challenge Ricky. And what was amazing about that year was how here's Ricky Henderson, the guy that everybody says has the gigantic ego, that he's the selfish guy, he's the me guy, he's all about himself and his contract and all the other negatives that came to it. But here he is being one of the guys and being mortal and being egoless about it and, and, and not being sort of a bore about, oh, well, in my day I would have killed these pitchers. Instead, just dealing with the body that he had as a 39-year-old and still wanted to compete. And I just thought that was really, really poignant because most superstar players, if they're no longer at the very, very top, they walk away. And Ricky was willing to hang in there. And it just made me think maybe he really does love the game more than anyone's ever given him credit for. No doubt about it. And you think about growing up in Oakland and, and you know, I've, I've been to, to Mosswood to play a little hoop and I've been to Bushrod. I talked to Shooty Babbitt a lot about Bushrod, but just, <laughs> yeah, I mean, Rick, for people who don't know, Ricky, he wanted to be a Raider. I mean, he, he wanted to be a tailback, huh? He wanted to be, he wanted to be OJ Simpson. I mean, that was his idol. Everyone, when people talk to Ricky and say, okay, well, who was your idol growing up? Who was your baseball player growing up? I mean, obviously he's, he loved Willie Mays. Willie Mays was his guy. In fact, Ricky is left-handed, as everybody knows. But the only reason Ricky didn't bat left-handed was because he wanted to bat like Willie Mays. Mm. So he's actually, I said, so how many, how many stolen bases did you cost yourself? Or how many hits did you cost yourself by that split second of jumping out of the right side of the batter's box and not the left? But what he really wanted was to be O.J. Simpson. And he really wanted to be a football player. And he even as kids playing in Bushride and all the other parks, his, all his friends used to call him the football kid. It was expected that he was going to be a Division I football player and an NFL player. He played baseball really to get in shape and because they, people you know, kept telling him that they, they needed players because they were short. And then, of course, his mother, Bobby, just began saying, you've got a better shot of playing baseball, longer career, less chance of injury, take the baseball route. But in his heart, he's a football guy. When he and I talked about this a few years ago, he, it was right when the A's had drafted Kyler Murray, mm-hmm. and he said, I really, really identify a lot with, with Kyler because he's a baseball player, but he knows football. 
and that's how I was. Isn't it true that when in high school, with the, maybe they put him on JV, he kind of said, like, at 14, don't you know who I am? <laughs> <laughs> yes, he did. Ricky, and that was one of the fun things about doing this book, too, was getting into the legend of Oakland. People have asked me, oh, well, you know, how do you separate the fact from the fiction? And I'm like, you don't. That's the beauty of somebody's legend. Some of the, some of the things that never happened are just as important as the things that happened. But this story did happen. When Ricky was in the 10th grade, the new baseball coach at Oakland Tech, Bob Cryer, essentially sort of picked guys out of a hat in terms of who he was going to put on the varsity and who he was going to put on the JV. And he pointed at Ricky and he said, you to the JV. And here's Ricky, 15 years old, talking to a grown-up. And he looks him in the eye and says, you must not know who I am. <laughs> that was Talk about a precursor to, to how Ricky was going to be, that Oakland swagger, that that self-confidence in his in his ability and so by the time the the practice was over the coach yells to the to the varsity kids did anybody ever no not get a chance to hit and ricky's on the jv field and he says i didn't get a chance to hit so he sneaks onto the varsity field and hops into the cage and just starts hitting rockets everywhere and the coach looks at ricky and says you come with us (laughs) and so ricky was on the jv for about 20 minutes (laughs) That's great. Uh, a couple more questions for Howard Bryant, the new book, Ricky. I've, I've always told people, and of course, you know, I'm a lifelong Ace fan, so I'm a little biased, but I, I've, I've told people, look, the, the, what is the object of the game? It is to score runs. He scored more runs than anyone in the history of the sport. So for anyone that doesn't put him in the all-time list, they don't understand baseball. No, Ricky was a monster. I mean, the new... One of the one of the other reasons why I I wanted to do this book, why it really jumped out at me, is because we spend so much time on on Ricky's personality, mm-hmm. and we spend so much time on the myth and the legend, and did he really speak in the third person, and, and did he not, and did the John Olerud story happen or did it not? <laughs> but here's the deal about Ricky: Ricky Henderson obliterated the record book, absolutely destroyed the record book, and when Ricky was in his tenth season, Sporting News did a, a story about. Which players, which active players were slam dunk Hall of Famers if they didn't play another game? And Ricky wasn't even on the list. <laughs> and this is 1988 when Ricky's already, you know, he's, he's a year and a half away from really breaking the stolen base record. And so what I loved about this project was going back and just looking at how much he destroyed the record book. 3,000 hits, 2,000 runs, 2,000 walks, 1,000-plus stolen bases. There's just so – no one's ever going to do this. No one is ever going to break Ricky's record. Ricky's been playing baseball since right at the end of the Civil War, Mm -hmm. and only one guy has had those numbers, and it's Ricky. Unbelievable. And you talk about his love for the game, and when they traded him to the Yankees, that that broke my heart. But he came back, helped him win a World Series – they trade him to the Blue Jays for just to help them in the World Series. We got Steve Carsey. He came back again. But then you look, Padres, Angels, Mets, Mariners, Red Sox, Dodgers, throw in, what, a Long Island Ducks, throw in that golden era league, whatever that was for people over 50. Yeah, I mean, the you, San, San Diego surf dogs. <laughs> right. You can't question this guy. He loves playing baseball. And the last time I saw him, he's more in shape than anybody else I know that age. Well, one of my favorite things about Ricky is when I was talking to him, I said, you know, Ricky, 
you actually never formally announced your retirement. <laughs> I mean, your last at bat was with the Dodgers in 2003, but you never actually retired. And he looked at me with a totally straight face and said, I think I could still help a team. Mm. And I said to him, you're 61 years old. <laughs> and he was not kidding. What do you think as you do the research? Because as you say, we, you know, we hear the stories, the John Olrood helmet story and, and New York, the way they said, you know, Ricky had a nightmare. There's all these things that probably never happened. But what, what was something that you found out about him that, that we never knew? And you were like, oh, wow. Yeah, I think that I think my favorite Ricky story was maybe more of a Ricky stat, but I think one of the stories that I really liked was that Ricky Ricky had a reputation for being really cheap. He really tight with his money, but, and so he would take his meal money. You know, and that money over the years would range from seventy five bucks a day to a hundred bucks a day, and he would take all of these these wads of money. He would never spend his meal money, and he would put them in an elastic and stick them in a shoebox. And whenever he would come back to North Oakland, you know, and the kids would see him and they'd all chase him, Ricky, Ricky, Ricky. And he would, he would ask them, you know, who's doing well in school and which one of you guys has got the best grades. And, and whoever, got to, whoever had the best report card, Ricky would just open up the shoebox and hand him a water, a water meal money. <laughs> wow. I thought that was kind of fascinating that you could run into Ricky and he'll hand you a rubber band with 100 bucks in it. I never heard that story. Last one for you, Howard. When... He did coach when he was with the Mets. He was a first base coach. But what about his impact on Jose Reyes, who he basically became the best leadoff hitter at that time? Yeah, that was one of the things that where Ricky really did uh, have an amazing impact. And people don't really talk about it. People always talk about Ricky as the negative clubhouse influence. People loved Ricky. They loved having him around. He, he was one of the best teammates. Pat Borders and I had hilarious conversations when uh, talking about the times when Ricky was in Toronto. And, and John Olerud said it best, that he was a guy you wanted to beat, and then when he was on, his, on your team, you didn't want him to leave. And, and the Reyes effect... He had the same he had the same impact on Roger Sedano when he was playing with the Mets in '99. That to, you know when you're around those guys, there's an electricity to do better, to be better. And what better coach to learn about base stealing from than the great Ricky Anderson? No doubt about it. Everybody should pick up this book, Ricky: The Life and Legend of an American Original, the greatest leadoff uh, hitter, and uh, you could argue the greatest baseball player of all time. And the author is our guest, Howard Bryant. Howard, congratulations on this book. It's great stuff, and thanks for dropping by again. No, it's my pleasure. Thank you. This has been the Rick Tittle Podcast on the 8Side Network.